Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm very honored to welcome the third president of Patrick Henry College, Mr. Jack Hay, as well as the Vice President for Advancement, Thomas Zemnick. How are y'all doing today? Great. Thank you very much for having us today. Doing well, Clay. Thank you. Well, I would like to talk with you today about the college and about issues that are facing you and others. But first, I'd like our listeners to know more about the president of Patrick Henry College. What did you do previously, Mr. Hay, and what brought you to your current post? Thank you. That's, that's a great question. Um, I spent 30 years as a corporate banker, uh, but all during that time, I was uh, involved at Patrick Henry from the very beginning. It was founded in 2000, but was on the founding board of trustees beginning in 1998 when we started dreaming and praying about this particular place. And I'll share a little bit of the history about that later. Well, in 2011, um, I, I left my position as executive vice president in the corporate space and um, the Lord called me to a position in a large church in the in the North Dallas area and became executive pastor. And so was working there doing sort of leadership development. And I was pastor to the pastors, which is a great, uh, just a beautiful season for me and really thought that's what I would be doing for a long time. Um, in 2014, the college here, and I've been a trustee since the very beginning and chairman of the board since 1999, doing a nationwide search for a new president. And they had asked me to... Um, to interview the final candidates, which I agreed to do, um, interviewed the two finalists and called the committee back and said, you guys did a great job. And either of these would be super, they're very qualified, uh, very uh, skilled and well-credentialed and all those good things. And the next day, the, the search committee coming back and said, well, thanks for your, uh, your feedback. We prayed about it and we, um, we think it's you. And I said, okay, this is not on my Gantt chart to do. This is not you know, I, I, no, I, so I said, okay, I'll pray about it. You know, and Clay, that, that is a, a dangerous thing to say if you're serious about praying about something, because you run the possibility that God's going to answer a prayer differently than the way that you think it should be answered. And that was exactly what happened is my wife and I prayed about it over the weekend and it became apparent that that it was exactly what he was asking us to do to come here and to do this. And so that was five, five years ago. And um, it's been a, just an incredible experience for us. Uh, we have, uh, my wife and I have been married for 39 years. We have um, seven kids and five of them are in Texas, two are in Virginia with us. And the grandkids are just now starting. So they're all in Virginia and there's one in Germany. Um, one son and his wife are in Germany. Uh, so that, that's a pull on the heartstrings a little bit, but there's just a sense that, um, it's such a great honor to be a part of what God's doing in this place. And he gets all the credit for it because, you know, if, if you look at it and, and we, we were confronted with this back in 1998, you know, the idea of starting a brand new college, who in their right mind would try to do that? There were thousands of colleges. Anyway, why would you do that? But we really felt there was a real specific space that needed to be filled. And that was related to thinking about the education, for example, that our founding fathers had. What were the books they read? How did they learn to debate? How did they learn to write? How did they learn to think? And, uh, and it was coming from a Christian basis, because if you look at the original Ivy Leagues, they were really founded with this firm belief in God's word and, um, and the belief in God. And 
But where were they? I mean, those institutions, the Ivies had drifted so far to the left that, um, you know, so for Christian parents that had really bright students that wanted, as you know, some kind of really incredible experience educationally for them that would stretch them intellectually, where, where could they send them without feeling that, that you know, they would go and, and their faith would be completely trashed before they finished the first semester of the freshman year? And so we thought it, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, it shouldn't be that way. And so um, we spent two years working with educational historians and various folks to try and figure out what would a curriculum look like to develop. If you developed it in 2000, if it was based on the principles and the books that were read and, and the way that they learned to debate and to uh, have conversations with each other and to, uh, you know, to, to uh, write, what would that look like to translate that into 2000? And so that's what we did and came up with a 63-unit core, which is one of the largest core curriculums in the whole United States. So for the first two years, everybody comes uh, in cohorts of freshmen. So you're going to study the same things. You're going to, uh, everyone's going to study um, Freedom's Foundations. Everyone's going to study constitutional law. They're going to study Western uh, literature. They're going to study Western civilization, uh, U.S. history, um, logic, rhetoric, philosophy, theology, even geometry. Now, they like to push back on that and say, now, you know, what does that have to do with anything? But it does because it shows order when you look at the way that we begin to understand how God created the universe. And so there are these 63 units that everyone comes. So what happens after they've gone through these two years together, that there's this incredible base of common knowledge that they take into their upper, upper level classes. And so the professors here tell me that, you know, it's, it's just a great joy for them to teach these students because when they come into those junior and senior level classes, they know every book they've read, they know every paper they've written, they know every idea that they've been challenged with and these great conversations that happen all over the place, not just in the classroom, but in the cafeteria and in the dorm rooms. Um, and so they can take those upper level classes and just take them at an accelerated rate uh, because there's common understanding. They're starting from the same place. Um, so it's been very uh, rewarding to see where our students have ended up. Uh, we've had, over the past few years, we've had four clerks at the United States Supreme Court, which is a huge thing for a little school that's just now 20 years old. Um, we have um, admissions in all the top law schools around the country and top graduate programs around the country. Our students score among the highest for these entrance level exams. Um, for these programs, um, but they're also doing very practical things too. They're they're on the hill. They're they're interning. They're spending time uh, in think tanks and writing and and working as policy analysts and and also in the strategic intelligence area. It's amazing to see what they can accomplish, and it's just a great privilege for me to be part of that and to to get to see that now, to be here and and Tom and I as part of the leadership team to to um, to help guide the institution. Well, there's so much of that that you just expounded on that I really appreciate. Being an uh, engineer and a math geek, I especially liked the uh, geometry quip. But it <laughs> everything has just been coming at me in waves of repeat, uh, just letting me know that, that God's speaking through people to me this year. Yeah. And something that you just said about uh, that God creates order is something I'm supposed to be paying attention to because earlier, uh, well, just last week, I was on a teleconference with several people from around the country, and one of them was Dennis Prager, and he gave us a prayer in Aramaic, and it was powerful, but uh, 
he also said, what, what does Genesis really say about what God created? And he, he boiled it down to he created order. And here you come <laughs> with geometry, shows the students order, and that's what God is about. Yeah. And uh, it, it just speaks to me. Well, Patrick Henry College is very unique, of course, with the motto being for Christ and for liberty. How do these elements of spiritual development, character development, and understanding the core principles of liberty blend together? And how does Patrick Henry College shepherd the development of students in those areas? Yeah, it's a great question. The foundation has to be built on an idea of, of growing from a spiritual formation standpoint, because uh, if, if we get everything right and miss the point, we've missed the whole point, the reason that we exist. In fact, when, when parents drop their students off here as freshmen, I tell them, you know, if we take your really bright student and we spend four years with them and they come out even smarter, but we haven't helped them to develop spiritually and haven't taught them humility, we failed because the world doesn't need more smart, arrogant people, right? We need people that, that know what it means to, to live with an, an awareness of the grace of God, but also the responsibility that comes with shepherding that gift. And a part of that is being a citizen and, and making a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our, in our states and, and nationally to, uh, to advocate for policies that, that re- represent righteousness and represent principles that, that are pleasing to God. And so for us, this idea of being as close to Washington, D.C. as we are, this idea of, of uh, Christ and for liberty, it's, it's the, the right order. It's, it's that we are focused on developing these young people in these four years uh, to, to become even more aware of their position in Christ and also the responsibility that comes with that to shepherd the gospel and to, to help promulgate the gospel in whatever sphere of influence that they have. And to recognize that that gift that we have in this particular cultural context and the context of our community is not an always a given. It's something that has to be defended. We have to have vigilance, right? And our founder, Patrick Henry, said that, you know, uh, the the, the need for vigilance to be watchful uh, because it can slip away. And, And we're seeing, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff over the past month. And that's one of the things I think that concerns all of us, where we think about how close we are. If, if left to our own devices is just unbridled men and women, how close is we are to tyranny. And it, it's only by the mediating power of the Holy spirit in our lives and him calling forth in us, this sense of civility and calling forth this, this idea of focusing on something besides what we want, my wants, my careers, my goals, my political party, focusing beyond that to what, how is God at work in all of this thing to, to bring about um, a, a society and bring about um, situations that are helpful and help people to flourish um, and not just to continue to um, just go down a path that, that's so, so very dangerous. So for Christ and for Liberty is, is an incredible synopsis of what we're trying to do here. And so it's, it's not just Liberty as an American, that's really important, but it's Liberty in Christ. What does that look like? And the responsibility that comes with that. So there are three principles that we see as as our distinctives for us. And one is this idea of high academic rigor, which we talked about. And the second is the spirit to the fidelity of the American founding. 
you know, we are, we don't claim that, that our history is perfect. We don't claim that the founders were perfect men because we're not perfect men either. But we do claim that the principles on which our country were founded were principles that they themselves knew that they couldn't ascribe to but they were the right principles. And so they were held out as a, as a beacon and as a, as a, this is what we have to move toward. And we think that's so important. And so much in our educational uh, system has lost a respect for our history and has become suspicious of it. And now even just, um, you know, mocking of it. Uh, but to, to have a respect for the fidelity and, and fidelity for learning about that and taking those principles and applying them in our current context is so important. And then the third distinctive for us, which is the most important thing, is this unwavering biblical worldview. Um, because we have to recognize we have to start somewhere with certain presuppositions about our origin, meaning, and morality, where we're going, those kind of things. We have to, we have to, everybody has a starting place with that in terms of worldview. And the biblical worldview uh, gives us the anchor point that we need to, uh, to accomplish these other things. And so um, there are other colleges, obviously they're doing great things around the country. Uh, we feel that we're called to a unique niche. It's, it's a pretty small niche, I think. Um, but they may be doing, some colleges may be doing one or two of those things, but I, I don't, think that we can find any other besides ourselves that are running hard after all three of those at the same time. And one other thing, quite frankly, that, that allows us to do that is early on, we made the decision not to accept government funding. So we've never, we've never been beholden to the government for in, in the entanglements that come with that in terms of required policies and things like that. So um, while it, it would have been easier financially in some ways, it was a founding principle from the very beginning not to do that. And in our current environment, uh, it's, it's a blessing for us that we haven't built a business model that assumes you have to have a bunch of government largesse. Nor do you have to pay a compliance department. And uh, as a former <laughs> no. government employee, I was career Air Force. Uh, I can appreciate that. But I also appreciate uh, liberty as a former military man. Uh, yep. I've always said that liberty is not maintained as a matter of natural course. It has to be defended. That's right. And you're training up people on how they can defend liberty and why. Well, that's right. One, one is making sure instilling a love for it and an understanding, but then equipping them to be able to have those, those conversations to write persuasively and to, and to, you know, to speak well, so that when they have that moment to defend it, they're ready. Now this year, uh, 2020 has been very unusual. If I can make a grotesque understatement, uh, briefly, the federal government imposed limitations on public gatherings and activities. Uh, we remember the quote, uh, 15 days to slow the spread and flatten the curve unquote. And after that, uh, several states impose their own restrictions and some of those persist in spite of the original and sole purpose having been fulfilled that is to say that we did avoid overrunning hospitals with COVID-19 patients all at once but how has Patrick Henry College dealt with those challenges and how are things going there this semester well, things are going really well, and we give God all the credit for this. We were able to have our students back in person. We're in-person classes. All of our residential students are back. And to this point, you know, we're grateful to the Lord, but we haven't had one single case of COVID on our campus. And so we're blessed. Now, this is, these are actually good times to be in a canoe versus a battleship. 
um, because us being smaller has allowed us over the summer to reconfigure our classes so that we could accommodate. Uh, and th because of the kind of, of teaching that we do here, they're, they're small classes anyway. So we didn't have many big stadium classes or amphitheaters that we had to deal with, but we're able to reconfigure our classes so that we could accommodate the the physical spacing that was that was required by the government in order to reopen. We're here in Virginia, and so Virginia has uh, has had its own challenges in terms of um, uh, executive orders. We'll just we'll put it that way. Um, but we, while we've tried to be a good citizen, uh, we also know that our, our we have a a goal and a calling to educate these kids. And so it was important for us to bring them back on campus. Um, you know, we, we've taken precautions which we we believe to be smart um, and but we're not we're not living in fear um, so uh, we we put a here in Virginia all we found out in mid-june all schools that wanted to reopen in the fall had to submit a detailed plan of how they were going to mitigate and handle cases that came up um, fortunately we had just finished ours so we were doing just a good order of business. Um, and we we're able to send it in, but the, the governor gave schools two weeks to get that done. And if they hadn't filed it by a certain date, they couldn't reopen. Um, so we had ours in one of the first ones that went in and it was approved. And so uh, we're, like I said, we're, we're trying to be good neighbors, good citizens in our community, but at the same time, recognizing that uh, we've got a job to do here and we're not going to live in fear. And that's so important. Uh, fear is a comorbidity to this disease. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Well, America faces other challenges, obviously. Um, from your perspective as president of an institution of higher learning, what are the most significant challenges that we're facing in America and how are your students and your graduates that, that uh, matriculate from your program there prepared to address those challenges? Yeah, you know that's that's almost an un, kind of unfolding almost minute by minute here um, when we, we think about some of the things that are in the balance. Um, in in general, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face and or it's likely to be accelerated is for religious liberty, uh, where we as a as a private faith based institution that does not accept government funding, um, but still you know, you can come under the gun pretty quickly uh, for forced compliance to hiring practices, to, to accommodations in the workplace, to certain things. Uh, in fact, there was um, a law that was passed here in Virginia in July, it's called the Virginia Values Act, uh, that we're, we're fighting because it, it basically took out the, the concept of uh, religious exemptions. And so I think fighting for religious freedom is going to, and religious liberty is one of the big things that is going to be on the horizon. And, um, and perhaps people and organizations will be emboldened to, um, to both fight for that, but also they'll be emboldened to take action against it. So I think for our students here, they're raised uh, to, and, and trained to, to think deeply about things. Um, we have the top forensics program in the nation. Uh, we, we say that's our only sport here is moot court um, and mock trial, but uh, we've won 12 of the last 15 national championships. So these, these and every student has to take, uh, they all take constitutional law. And part of that is a mock, is a moot court tournament where they actually have to look at the constitutional issues involved in a specific case and they have to get up and argue it. Um, 
my son anecdotal my son who's a sophomore here he's he's not a debate kind of guy um so i was asking him about this intramural tournament that everyone has to do he said dad it's sort of like going to a, a university that's famous for basketball and being told you have to get out there and play basketball it's it's, it's a little intimidating to do it being from but, kentucky i appreciate that example <laughs> So, uh, but the reason we do that is because everyone needs to be able to articulate the things that are important to them. And they need to be able to do it in a coherent way that connects to facts and it connects to important principles that are under, you know, underlying all of these things. So training them up to be able to, uh, to know what they believe and to be able, willing to take a stand to defend it um, is, is very, very important. A friend of ours, uh, we're talking about these years from 18 to 22, how important these are. And this, this friend said, you know, as Christian parents, we work really hard to lay a solid foundation for our students. And so when they go off to college, you know, you kind of, you kind of wonder about that because he said, you know, that no matter how strong that foundation is between 18 and 22, the cement's still wet. And so what's going to happen in those four years will make deep impressions on those students, right? And it's mainly the community that they're living in and the, the people, the ideas that they're interacting with and the mentorships that, that develop. And primarily in the higher ed setting, that's with professors. And the community piece are just going to be that woke community uh, on most campuses. And so it's, it, we recognize that that is a... Um, that is a very serious responsibility for us to, we get to do life with these kids for four years. And as a former academic Dean used to tell the faculty every year, he said, you know, you are not only a subject matter expert, but you're an older brother and sister in Christ. And if you don't seize that opportunity, you're going to have to answer the Lord for it because you got four years with these kids and we're accountable. Um, So it's, it's that sense of intentionality, I think, that, that helps us from a spiritual formation. You can't make spiritual formation happen. It's like making a gourmet dinner and setting it on the table and inviting people to come. If they don't choose to come, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. But you want to make it as, as enticing as you can, and you want to make it as grace-filled as you can. But also, as, as, a, as a community, it's such a high priority for us um, that it's, it's an important thing for us to be walking together in the Lord. And, you know, when we stumble, when we fall, okay, fine, let's figure out how do we get up. It's, you know, don't stay there. Don't give up. What if I have questions about my faith, about what I think about God? Great, let's talk about it. Let's 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 wrestle it down to the ground as much as we can. So this these are the four years where we get to do and have some of those great conversations that I think prepares them um, for the next chapter that they have. There was a one of our alums uh, went on to school, high, uh, went on to college at uh, law school at Harvard. Yeah, Harvard Law School and later interned at the U.S. Supreme Court. We had him back to speak for a trustee dinner one night uh, a couple of years ago and one of the trustees asked him, so, well, during your time at PHC, what did PHC do most to prepare you for, uh, for going to Harvard, you know, doing Har- the law review there, doing so well? And he said, you know, PHC was the, faith, the place where I, I found my faith and, as, and I owned it, right? He said, if I hadn't had those four years to really make that solid in my life, he said, I would have probably gone off the rails, um, and so we see that is that this is these are four years where we get to be with these kids and to really encourage them not only intellectually 
because they're smart to begin with, but to help them to recognize that even that is a gift from the Lord. And so how would, can they use that in humility to serve him and to serve the other people that are around them? Now that's really powerful. And it ties in with this other theme that has been coming at me this summer, particularly that we Christians in America and people of faith in America, um, our Jewish brothers and sisters as well, are most likely coming to a time where we will have to suffer for our faith, even in America, as they have in other countries. And the the ready defense that uh, he and others there would have is going to be so vital. Would you have any words of encouragement for listeners mm-hmm. who are concerned about that particular uh, ominous looming reality yeah Yeah. a couple of things one is we need to lean into the sovereignty of god if um, he is not surprised by any of this and he will strengthen and enable us to do what we need to do by his power right we shouldn't be fearful Um, we should just recognize that he has called us to this specific moment in history not by accident and he calls us to be faithful. You know, I, I think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they came before the king, and the king said, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down. And they, and they said, uh, or oh, you're going to go in this furnace. And they said, oh, king, we don't need another chance because we're not going to do it. But then you think about what must have gone through their mind when their hands are being bound and they're being walked toward that furnace door. Perhaps they were praying for a miracle, that God would intercede somehow, that the the king's heart would be changed or, you know, the, the furnace would blow up and miraculous, something would happen. Um, and, and no doubt they were thinking that it's human, that that could happen. But, you know, while they were perhaps thinking about a miracle on this side of the door, God was preparing to give them his presence on the other side of the door, right? And in order to experience that, they had to walk through the door, Right. So if, they, if they'd experienced a miracle on this side, it had been a story they could tell for a long time. But because they walked through the door and experienced God's presence in the middle of that fire, not only they were changed, but their story has changed lives down through history, right? So could it be that there's a moment in time where we're asked to walk into um, tribulation? Quite possibly. But we can also be sure that God's presence will be there. And uh, just as it has with been the body of Christ over the years in all kinds of historical events, uh, we can know that he's with us and he's near and he promises never to leave us. Um, and he just asks us to be faithful and be obedient with what's right before us and be clear um, and be resolved. Well, thank you for that uh, reminder and encouragement. And it ties another neat little bow on another theme that uh, I had in mind to talk about, which is that God specializes in the impossible so uh, I just really appreciate uh, that and it's a great way to conclude our time uh, together I'm so thankful for both of you uh, joining us today and I hope listeners have been enriched and encouraged as I have God bless you both thank you Clay thanks so much Clay now it's time for our special historical segment featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied On the 18th of November 1956, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev said to Western ambassadors, We will bury you. That probably sounds extreme, 
but it is a true, simple explanation of what every leftist, every statist, and every other tyrant intends. Whether it is called communism, Marxism, socialism, national socialism, fascism, or the modern Democratic Party, every single scheme of government that seeks to have citizens dependent on central government is about the same ultimate result, which is absolute control. And they have no compunction against doing anything to get their way. Liberty is not maintained as a matter of natural course. It must be defended. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.